Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. All right. Uh, When we left last time, we left the scene where the news had finally come to David about the death of his son Absalom. And at the close of chapter 28, we saw the Cushite come to David and the Cushite tell uh, David, good news for my Lord the King, for the Lord has delivered you this day from the hand of all those who rose up against you. And the king said to the Cushite, is it well with the young man Absalom? And the Cushite answered, may the enemies of my Lord the King and all who rise up against you for evil to be like that young man. And the king was deeply moved and went up into his chamber over the gate and wept. And as he, as he went, he said, O oh, oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would I have died instead of you, O oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Everybody comes to David that day with good news. All is well, all is good. But David is left running away from the gate, the position of where he should be sitting, to the gate, above the gate in his chamber. He's mourning over the loss of his son. But we looked at last time, he's not only mourning that his son had died, that he understood that his son has died because the sword came into his house because what he, he had done, because what he, his sin against Uriah the Hittite is now the sword has come upon his house. Now, if I was the one placing chapter divisions in the Bible, I often point this out, I don't know why, but uh, I would not have placed a divider between 18 and 19 where we find it. Uh, I probably would have continued all of 18 up to 19, verse 8 at least. I don't have consulted, uh, it's hard to be able to change something that's been in there. Um, but even last time when we broke in our study, we broke at that chapter division of uh, 33 in uh, verse uh, chapter 18. Because we need to see this all as something together, this one big story of what is happening to David and, and this news coming to David. We see that in verse 33, the king was deeply moved. He went up to his chamber over the gate and wept. And then he continues in verse 4 to be able to cry out that same cry that he, we saw in verse 33. Oh, my son, Absalom, oh, Absalom, my son, my son. And this is the scene where we left last week, where the author then brings a new layer to this. That being that it, we focused last week that it was David's mourning. It was him weeping. But here it spreads that David's mourning then becomes the people's mourning. And that's what we see in verses 1 to 4. It was told Joab, behold, the king is weeping and mourning for Absalom. So the victory that day was turned into mourning. For all the people, and the people heard that day, the king is grieving for his son. And the people stole into the city that day, as people steal in who are ashamed when they flee in battle. The king covered his face, and the king cried with a loud voice, O my son Absalom, O Absalom, my son, my son. And this story now centers around the mourning, the grief. Joab hears that the king is weeping and mourning for Absalom. Now the author helps us out here. Often we're looking for 
those pointers that the authors are, or the author is trying to emphasize in stories like this. Everybody up to this point has spoken of good news. When uh, Ahimaaz comes up, he says, all is well. He bowed before the king with his face to the earth and said, blessed be the Lord your God who has delivered up the men who raised their hand against my lord the king. The Cushite came up and said, Good news for my lord the king. The Lord has delivered you this day from the hand of all those who rose up against you. These are the words of the form the people. They come now from the people's mouths. And the author gives us the idea that it's not the shout of victory, the celebration that the Lord has delivered them. What the author points out here is is there's turning, there's victory. That day that was turned into mourning for all the people. So not only does Ahimaaz say good news, not only does the Cushite say good news, but even the author points us in the right direction saying that there's victory that day. It's not something someone said. He's pointing to us that there was victory and it changed into mourning. More than that, it was not merely that that there was victory that was turned into mourning. But what should have been celebration was turned into actually like they didn't even, they lost the battle. In verse 3 that we see that the people stole into the city that day as people steal in who were ashamed when they flee in battle. That this day that people saw the morning, the morning changed the whole city's uh, feeling and emotion about this day. And what it was, it was like that they were all ran away, that they all were defeated on the battlefield and they were fleeing for their life. The CSB, I think, really sums this up in a way that we can understand it. So they returned into the city quietly that day like troops come in when they are humiliated after fleeing in battle. So here they come in, victory, victory, all is good, good news. But what turns into good news is now humiliation, shame like that we lost. They've been cowards. Now this is an important piece of the puzzle. These men who had fought with David, who were willing to live risk their lives for David, accomplished what they had set out to do, what the purpose of this battle is, they sought out to eventually find peace. Himaz says, all is well, all is shalom, all is peaceful. Actually, it's right back where we started. The barefoot king walking up the Mount of Olives. And he's weeping, barefoot with his head covered. And so too all the people as they leave Jerusalem. Their heads are covered as they went up, weeping as they went. And now the king has covered his face once more, crying out with a loud voice, O my son Absalom, O Absalom, my son, my son. Now we do need to pause here, and as we've tried to point out, that this is a tragic thing. This is the story of a father losing his son. And as we pointed out, it goes deeper than just the loss of a son, but a loss of his son because God's judgment is upon his house for his own sin. 
This is the reality of the sword devouring the house because of David's sin. But also of Absalom, the father of peace, and his sin. Del Ralph Davis points out how long we have understanding David's pain. He says, clearly the writer wants to see and hear David's anguish. Volkerman has pointed out that a mere historian would have been far more concise with something like, Joab sent the king news of the battle. When David learned that Absalom had perished, he went into deep mourning. And I think Dale Ralph Davis makes a very good point. But then he goes on to explain and makes a very good point for Joab. He points out Joab's insubordination, but also his realism. His wrong in what he did to Absalom, but also the right in what he did to Absalom. He's rebellious on one side, but reasonable on the other. He lacks subordination, but not sense. However, what we see in the passage is movement that the author hints that the author is agreeable to Joab's speech, his rebuke. This is the moving factor that shifts where David is and how he relates back to that position by the gate. Delroy Davis says that Joab's speech is nasty but necessary. He points out that David would treat cancer with candy, but Joab knew it required surgery, and he nominated himself as a surgeon. So now we see this shift, this change, this climactic end to what has been the story of the traveling of the good news. We see this to begin with in verses 5 to 7. Then Joab came into the house and said, to the king and said, You have today covered with shame the faces of all your servants, who have this day saved your life and the lives of your sons and your daughters and the lives of your wives and your concubines, because you love those who hate you and hate those who love you. You have made it clear today that the commanders and servants are nothing to you. For today I know that if Absalom were alive and all of us were dead today, then you would be pleased. Now therefore arise, go out and speak kindly to your servants. For I swear by the Lord, if you do not go, not a man will stay with you this night. And this will be worse for you than all the evil that has come upon you from your youth until now. And Joab comes in, the, the surgeon who has taken it upon himself to be able to, to treat this king. And Joab walks in and his focus is not on himself, on his relationship with David, but his focus is on David's subjects. You have covered today your shame of the faces of your servants. What did his servants do? Joab points out that your servants this day saved your life, and now you are mourning. Not only did they save your life, 
They saved the lives of your sons and your daughters, of your wives, of your concubines. This is why we say victory. Because you love those who hate you and hate those who love you. Our topsy-turvy David's thinking is this day. This is the exact same word that is used of Amon hating Tamar. Back in chapter 13. And Amon hated her with a very great hatred. So that he hated with her with he hated her was greater than the love which he had loved her. It's also then used not of Amon just hating Tamar, it's also used of Absalom hating Amon. But Absalom spoke to Amon neither good nor bad, for Absalom hated Amon because he had violated his sister Tamar. And here David and Joab is saying, look, you are hating the ones who love you and love the ones who hate you. Backwards thinking. Not only have they saved your life, not only are you thinking wrongly and loving those who hate you and hate those who love you, but you have made it clear today to that your commanders and servants are nothing to you. Again, the focus is not on himself per se. The focus is on all of these people who are mourning with him, who have come in dejected like they've lost the battle. Now remember back right back to chapter 18. When, when the men said to David, don't you go out. You don't go out. David goes, I'll go out in the battlefield with you and say, no. For if we flee, they will not care about us. And if half of us die, then they will not care about us. But you are worth 10,000 of us. Therefore, it is better that you send us help from the city. And here Joab is pointing out that they won't care. Your enemies won't care if they destroy us. But Joab is pointing out our king doesn't even care if they destroy us. They said that David was worth 10,000 men. But here David is saying that you are worth nothing. It would have been better if all of them had died and Absalom had lived. Joab really sticks that knife in when he says, For today I know that if Absalom were alive and all of us were dead, then you would be pleased. You would not be weeping that day. You would be rejoicing, celebrating, but now it is the reverse. Absalom is dead and you are weeping. And he tells them them harsh words at the end. Not just cutting to the heart, but what now you must do. Now therefore arise, go out and speak kindly. Speak, speak the, 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 the word there to, to, to speak kindly in the Hebrew is speak to the heart of your servants. Back, right back to that chapter 18 verse 3 again. You shall not go out, the, the people tell David, for if we flee, they will not heart about us. If half of us die, they will not heart about us, care about us. And now Joab turns around and says, you need to speak to them from the heart. 
Show them how much you care about them, how much they cared about you. Now you need to repay the favor. And if you do not, again, a nasty but necessary, he concludes by saying that I swear by the Lord, if you do not go, not a man will stay with you this night. And this will be worse for you than all the evil that has come upon you from your youth until now. Now we know the story of David. This is not a small feat. David has faced a lot of evil. And if you do not, more evil will come upon you than all of that combined. Joab sits there with the king as he weeps, his face is covered, and he is blatant and honest. No, no one will ever fight for you again. You thought you had lost the kingdom because of Absalom. But if you will keep on mourning, then you will actually lose the kingdom. You would now see victory. Matthew Henry, I think, does a good job of explaining this as well. How plainly and vehemently Joab reproved David for this indiscreet management of himself in this critical juncture. David never more needed the hearts of his subjects than now, nor was ever more concerned to secure his interests in their affections. And therefore, whatever tended to dislodge them now was the most impolitic thing he could do and the great wrong imaginable to his friends that adhered to him. Or just to put it bluntly, as Dale Ralph Davis said, nasty but necessary. Joab is the one who, who often knows the things that need to be done for David, and he does them. He gets his hands dirty. This time it wasn't killing Abner, Uriah, or Absalom. He will deal with Amasa, but now it's not people that he needs to kill. It's David's attitude that will divide the kingdom all the more than anything that has happened in the past. And I think in all this you do see the trustworthy man that Joab is to David. He has definitely his moments. But I think you see that Joab's words actually do, in fact, do the trick. David does not get the last word. He does not get a response. Joab is the one who gets the last word. What you see after David's the speech is the king arose and took his seat in the gate. And the people were all told... Behold, the king is sitting in the gate. And all the people came before the king. The king is back. They finally see. The grieving father is gone. And we understand that this grief doesn't magically disappear. But I think you understand that in his position as the king, you also become the eye of the public. 
And here, the emphasis, again, the author points out, not merely did he comes and sits, and sits at the gate, it's something that everybody notices, that all turn around and see. The king is back. He, he's sitting at the gate. The David heard the advice of Joab. Now, we could spend more time on this, but I think we see the author just stops here. The author records back in the first chapters of Second Samuel his lament over Saul and Jonathan, but we have no lament over Absalom. There is no seeking then to go find his bones and bring them back, just as the men of Jabesh-Gilead did with Saul. Even Abner gets a eulogy but not Absalom. The reality was that this was a divisive act, years in the planning and the making that divided a kingdom that established civil war. But what we actually see that it takes a long time for this civil war to be able to heal. In April 1865, Robert E. Lee would surrender his Confederate troops to Ulysses Grant ending the four years of the Civil War. However, that is not the date the Civil War ended. It would take 16 months after this that the war would finally be finished. But even then, it would be years, even longer for the effects of the war to finally end. And even, you might say, that the effects are still with us. The Lee was merely just one general in an army of a confederacy. And as you would understand, the confederacy is, is these agreements between these states. And so it is true with the nation of Israel. In the next series that we see how divisive this act actually was at this point of time in David's life. The reversal of what happened under the damage of Absalom. 15 verse 6, Thus Absalom did to all Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. Then as the message comes to David as he's sitting in Jerusalem, the hearts of the men of Israel have gone after Absalom. So now we see in the next section where this repair starts to take place. We see this in verses 8 to 15. Now Israel had fled every man to his own home. And all the people were arguing throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, The king delivered us from the hand of our enemies and saved us from the hand of the Philistines. And now he has fled out of the land from Absalom. But Absalom, who we anointed over us, is dead in battle. Now, therefore, why do you say anything about bringing the king back? And the king, answered, the king sent this message to Zadok and Abathar, the priest, saying, Say to the elders of Judah, why should you be the last to bring the king back to his house? When the word of all Israel has come to the king, you are my brothers, you are my bone and my flesh. 
Why then should you be the last to bring back the king? And say to Amasa, you are not my bone and my are you not my bone and my flesh? God do so to me and more also, if you are not commander of my army from now on in the place of Joab. And he swayed the heart of all the men of Judah as one man, that they sent word to the king, Return, both you and all your servants. So the king came back to the Jordan, and Judah came to Gilgal to meet the king and to bring the king over the Jordan. Now for the sake of time, we'll just merely look at a few points during this that we can see in this passage. And in verse 10, we see, we find out something that we don't know up till this point, that we actually find out that the people of Israel actually anointed Absalom as king. What we find out earlier is that he has this party and, and people cry out once the trumpets are blown that Absalom is king in Hebron. But at some point, when Absalom now comes to uh, Jerusalem, you would imagine, during this time, they anointed him. That They actually made him king over Israel. Now we see in verse 9 that there was this, this argument that was happening. And the people were arguing throughout all the tribes of Israel. Now, this type of argument was, was not merely just a plain disagreement. It, it's, a, it's a legal type argument about a legal question. We've made an agreement to Absalom that he would be king. But Absalom is dead. So then what does this mean with our agreement that we had made previously with David? Can David just come back and be our king? What... Or does, does our anointing of Absalom then take away his kingship? But here we notice something that even that we, 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 we see throughout this kingdom. We often call this era the, the United Kingdom phase. With Saul and David and Solomon. But here you even see the divide between Israel and Judah. That's something that flows through the whole time. So when Judah and Israel separate in the divided kingdom, it's actually not that surprising because they've got all this tension beforehand. But here you see that the focus is on the divide. The, 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 the flows through here. They're, they're blood brothers, family, and oneness. In verse 12, you are my brothers, my bone, my flesh. In verse 13, my bone and my flesh, that, that Amasa is the nephew of David. That Abigail bore Amasa. So here, David has this family connection not only to Judah, but also to Amasa. And he swayed the heart of all of Judah, the men of Judah. So Absalom had stole the heart of the people of Israel. Now he's trying to get it back. And David here has trying to sway the heart of the men of Israel. And the, the simple response, the simple plan is to have the king return. And that's exactly what we see in that final verse in verse 15. So the king came back to the Jordan. 
And Judah came to Gilgal to meet the king and to bring the king over the Jordan. Now we saw this before as David is fleeing Jerusalem, fleeing Israel, he comes and he passes over the Jordan. And we saw this echo of what had happened before in the story of Rahab and Joshua. That as they're coming into the promised land, they're reminded of how Moses had defeated the two kings in their wilderness and Pharaoh the king. And here now as he comes back, we're reminded of this echo. One commentary actually points this out, where he says, David's journey back to Jerusalem and back to the kingship retraced the path that he had taken as he fled from Absalom. Having lost the kingdom, the key word that occurred nine times in verses 18 to 33, meaning pass by or cross over, referring to David's flight eastward across the Jordan, is used 15 times in verses 15 to 41 in connection with his return in the opposite direction. We noted earlier that this was the word they used repeatedly in Joshua 3 and 4 in connection with the entry into the people into the promised land in the days of Joshua. David was re-entering the land. His exile in the wilderness was over. And here this joyous moment as now the exile has finished and he comes back Now we'll see the the issues that he has to face when he comes back to the kingdom. He's left his son in in the city of Jerusalem for a time being, and and we know a little bit of what happened during that reign. He's got a lot to fix, not just within physical things, but within his whole house. He's got to set his house back in order. But here he comes back to uh, to the Jordan, But then the elders of Judah and all the men of Judah come and meet at Gilgal. And Gilgal is a very important place in 1 Samuel chapter 11. And Samuel said to the people, people, come let us go to Gilgal and there renew the kingdom. So that all the people went to Gilgal and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. And they sacrificed peace offerings before the Lord. And there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. But here is this renewing of the kingdom. What was once, you might say, divided underneath the period of the judges, where all the tribes would kind of fight and battle. The end of judges is all about the tribes going and fighting against Benjamin. There's this internal civil war, and then Samuel, Eli the judge, Saul come, Samuel the judge, and now... Saul, Saul comes and he renews the kingdom. The devastation of Absalom is widespread and now the true king will come and renew the kingdom once more. That here we no, don't even need to think very far to be able to see the connections towards Christ. The Christ comes to renew the kingdom. He comes to make things new. That Saul had failed. David was indeed better than Saul. What is told of Samuel as he speaks to Saul, but now your kingdom shall not continue. For the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. And later on in verse um, chapter 15, And Samuel said to him, 
The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it to your neighbor of yours who is better than you. And in steps David, and David's kingdom is divided and, and ruined. You might say even just because of his own sin. But the promise is not given just to David. The promise continues to, to Jesus, who is better than David. But as we'll see, as David comes into Jerusalem, the problems are not fixed, as we'll see in the next couple of weeks. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Seven Springs Presbyterian Church began in 1874 and is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Glade Spring, Virginia. Please join us for worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. for His glory and His gospel.